Welcome to Grounds for Discussion, a book club podcast for the average Joe. Welcome to Grounds for Discussion. I'm Becky. And I'm Laura. And today we are talking about the book Furious Hours by Casey Sepp. So the dessert from this episode was a bit tricky. We didn't really find much in the book uh, Furious Hours. But this book is about Harper Lee, who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. So uh, we kind of took our cue from the region rather than the actual mention of a dessert. So To Kill a Mockingbird takes place in the deep deep south in Alabama, right, Laura? Yep, Alabama. Yep, so we decided to make a classic southern dessert, the banana pudding. And I have heard a lot of people rave about their grandma's banana pudding down here. So <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Everybody's grandma makes the best banana pudding. Yeah. I must not have great taste buds because I can't really tell much of a difference when it comes to banana pudding. <laughs> <laughs> I would but, concur with that. I don't, I really don't think I have the taste buds for it. I don't know. Yeah. Banana pudding is banana pudding to me I like it yeah so did you enjoy the dessert that you made I did and I I have a confession um I we had sort of decided on a recipe Becky and I that we wanted to use but um I I in typical fashion kind of left it a little later than I wanted to so I (laughs) kind of made a um a kind of quicker version but it was pretty good um it sort of involved like instant pudding and you know okay. like whip cool whip you know and mm. yeah so, so you know, it was good i when i made it um did you know i followed the recipe which i was pretty proud of because i never well i did add extra vanilla but other than that i followed the recipe but yeah. um it was a little bit bland to me like oh. it, it wasn't bad it just was just you know it could have been store-bought and you never would have known, you know? Huh, it didn't okay. really taste homemade to me. But also I'm wondering if it's because I ate it pretty much after I made it. So I'm wondering if maybe it didn't have time to sit oh. and, like, I don't know. Kind of come together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean. It could for, be. For banana pudding, it was it was decent, you know. Not bad, but yours actually sounds like it might have been a little bit tastier, what with the Cool Whip and such. Right. So. Now, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to claim this is any kind of real banana pudding. I did not <laughs> sit there over the stove and do the whole thing with the candy thermometer and all that. I, didn't I do totally it. did. Aren't you proud of me? I was proud I of really myself. am. I yeah, was, I'm very proud of you. Yeah, because I don't do that. <laughs> yeah. It, it's kind of, I mean, anything where you have to pull out a candy thermometer, yeah. in my opinion, yeah. Yeah, once she said that, I was like, oh, candy thermometer. Although, Oops. I didn't have a candy thermometer. I used a meat thermometer, but, you know. That's what I would have had to do, too, so. Yeah. yeah. I don't own a candy thermometer. I don't make candy. Right. I yeah. I that's mean. That's way too complicated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what but good for you. Enjoying? 
I am actually, I mean, I'm not drinking it right now, mm-hmm. but um, today I did kind of my standard. But the thing that I ended up having this afternoon was, um, this is, again, right on par, um, just a Starbucks double shot. Ooh, all right. <laughs> it was a caramel-flavored one. <laughs> Those really rev you up, huh? <laughs> they do, exactly. That's how I'm still going. I have tried this new drink at Starbucks. I feel like we talk about Starbucks a lot, but, you know. I know. It's kind of sad. It is a little bit. But. Oh, well. (laughs) um, I tried this new drink. It was cold brew, right? Yeah. And the top was almond milk foam. Oh. And I think it was cinnamon. They had cinnamon in it, too. And it was really quite good. Now, it didn't stand up like. Um, like the salted caramel foam because it's okay. not, it's almond milk, you know? Yeah. But, um, it was, it was pretty delicious. So. Okay. Now I, what, is there any like sweetener to it or is it just the foam? It was just the foam. However, okay. like, once all that, uh, like the almond milk kind of, you know, went into like, the drink. Seeps in. I did add, I added some trivia, you know, just a okay. little bit to kind of sweeten it some more, but. Yeah, that yeah. was pretty good. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't know if the almond milk would be enough sweetness for me. I'd want a little yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. But that's me. I hear you. <laughs> so, are you ready to talk about the book? Yeah, let's okay. uh, let's get down to business and All brass right. tacks. <laughs> okay, so this book, Furious Hours, is a nonfiction story, which this is our first one. Yeah, it's a switch up. <laughs> Um, and it actually has three separate people that um, it talks about, and the book talks about how their lives intertwine. So this story yeah. follows Reverend Willie Maxwell, who was a preacher in the 1960s, 70s, right? Yep, yep. And he had pretty much a life insurance scam going on where he had life insurance taken out on a bunch of different people. And then some of those people started mysteriously dying and he was accused of murdering six, I think it was six of his family members for the insurance money in the 1970s. So with the help of his lawyer, uh, his, they called him big Tom. He escaped justice for years until a relative named Robert Burns shot him at the funeral of his last victim, who happened to be Burns's niece. So despite hundreds of witnesses, Maxwell's murder was acquitted thanks to the same attorney who represented the Reverend during his trials. So Harper Lee was sitting in the audience during Burns's trial, hoping to write a true crime story on this case. Lee had the idea of writing a true crime novel when she helped her childhood friend, Truman Capote, research what would become his well-known novel, In Cold Blood, 17 years before that. Furious Hours is uh, three parts, like I said. So um, Willie Maxwell and his story is kind of the, the story that brings them all together. Um, the second part of the story talks about the lawyer, Tom, and then the third talks about Lee and her obsession, really, with this story and how it followed her for the rest of her writing career. 
So I personally thought that this was a fascinating read. It had all a source of different elements. Um, it had suspense, murder, revenge, and a lot of more, you know, a lot more things. But part of the book um, where the author is talking about Robert Burns's decision to shoot the Reverend came as a little bit of a shock for me. So I, I think I actually gasped like when I uh, like read that part. What did you think, Laura, about the morality of Burns's decision to murder the Reverend? Well, first of all, I have a question for you because yeah. did you did you think that that was a decision that was like premeditated? Mm. Um, I guess I read it as though it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I know he brought the gun to the funeral. Right. Um, but his wife sort of claimed that he always had it on him yeah. because he was ex-military and he just that he just was one of those people who carried a gun. And there's a lot of people in the South who just yes. f- feel more safe. And so I wasn't sure. I was like, well, was it really a decision or did he just do it on the spur of the moment? I mean, obviously it was still a decision, but yeah. You know, did he go there planning to do that? So that was kind of part of the question for me. Like, I, I don't really know what he was thinking. Okay. Like, was he planning to do that? And if and and if not, did he just get kind of overwhelmed and just mm. lose it? Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, it, I don't think it was okay. Right. Right. Um, for him to make that decision on his own and just kind of, you know, vigilante style. Right. You know. Um, but, I mean, he had gotten away with it for uh-huh. so long. Now, again, that's assuming he did it. But uh-huh. it seems like how could he not have at least done something? Yeah. yeah. Because I-, I will say that whole insurance thing was just crazy. Oh, yeah. Total I mean, fraud. Total fraud. Well, the fact that you could take out a policy on someone yes. and they don't even know that they that you have a policy on them. Yeah. And they don't even have to be related. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, like, you could take out a policy on your neighbor. Just, I mean, there's some pretty obvious problems with the system yes. if. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That was crazy. But anyway. Yeah. And um, I did talk a little bit about the background of. In, you know, life insurance. Right. Um, which I found a tad bit boring, that part. But, <laughs> but I was, actually kind of found it interesting, really? strangely enough, um, because there were some big obstacles to life insurance being a thing in a way, because yeah. they didn't know how to estimate what what to pay mm-hmm. or how because they had no idea how long a person would live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nobody thought to collect that information. Yeah. So um, I actually found that part kind of interesting. But anyway, huh. um, I, I would say it kind of comes down to whether or not you're buying the insanity plea. And yes. I'm just not sure that I was. Well, I, I did not buy the insanity plea either. I think that the lawyer, Big Tom, I, I think he maybe was backed into a corner a little bit and that might have been the only way that he thought he could get a win. Yeah. Um, Because really, 
every everybody knew that this man Burns really did kill the Reverend. I mean, everybody saw it. So what yeah. are you gonna say as his lawyer? <laughs> you know, right? But why? I mean, but Big Tom didn't have to take him on as a client. That's true. Well, so I never understood, like, you know, obviously he doesn't, he can't say that he didn't do it because everybody saw him right. do it. So then in my brain, I'd go, I don't think I can represent you because I don't know how to represent you. Yeah. Well, Big, Big Tom is a whole nother yeah, true. issue. Yeah. <laughs> Which maybe we could talk about. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> but So I, what what about you? Well. What did you, what did you think about him Murdering Obviously, the, the I agree with you. the The moral part of it, it's not right. Obviously, yeah. I just thought it was interesting. I actually read an article um, from 1977 uh, with, um, I think they interviewed Burns, but um, okay. After he was acquitted, and it talked about how the town actually gave him the man of the year award oh my word (laughs) yeah and everyone like really respected him and looked up to him for having shot the reverend and it makes you kind of wonder like maybe these people were truly living in a lot of fear and you know otherwise why would they think that it was okay and be okay with him doing that like yeah but it does seem insane to me to praise him for killing the reverend. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure they were glad that he was gone based on, you know, all the evidence pointing to the fact that they were that they were afraid and that they didn't know who he was going to take a life insurance policy out on next. And they didn't know right. if they would be the next victim. So um, I think they probably the town was nervous about that but to praise him for it yeah that's going a bit far uh, seems crazy to me but yeah i agree with you but i yeah it comes back to um what you kind of thought about big tom i guess but yeah yeah (laughs) what did you think about nell's friendship with truman capote Mm. now now okay um in the book um, in case you aren't familiar with Harper Lee, Harper Lee is her, um, well, it's, it is her name, but she, her first name is, is it Ellen? I think her first name is Ellen and she goes by now. Yes. But then she used Harper Lee, which is her middle name and her last name. Yep. As her writing name. Yeah. Her, her nom de plume, if yeah. you will. <laughs> Which I still just call her Harper Lee. But. <laughs> um, so what what did you think about that whole aspect of the book with um, Nell and her, her longtime friendship with Truman Capote? Well, I did not know anything, pretty much anything about Harper Lee. Um, so that part of the book was so interesting to me. Um, I didn't know that she knew Truman Capote. I didn't know that they were next door neighbors, that they grew up together, they played together. All that stuff was so intriguing to me. Um, But the book kind of portrays him as a little bit standoffish as a person. And, you know, he's flamboyant and and um, kind of in your face about things. Yeah. Um, 
And it even says that some people didn't really like him. Now, how much of that was, you know, discrimination, you know, or his personality? Who really knows? But um, it says something about how later on he kind of denounces a bunch of his friends or a bunch of people. And I think, you know, as... Or cut him out, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And as children... They grew up together. They loved each other. They had a, a good friendship. But then when they got older, after she worked with him, helping him with his book, it almost seemed like there became a, a real almost rivalry, but more so on his part than hers. Is what Yeah, it, that's I feel like that's how the book definitely presented yeah, it, that yeah. he's, he maybe was a bit of a jealous person maybe yeah and sort of maybe felt envious that his friend had gotten such fame from her book maybe yeah but weird because he was already famous by right 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 and and was a a literary you know genius in his own right so yeah kind of strange Uh uh-huh but sort of well sort of smacks of insecurity almost yeah, yeah. It kind of goes along with his personality, I guess. Yeah, it could be. Um, but then it kind of makes you wonder what if their friendship was just... I guess there are friends in your life that you grow away from. But yeah. it just seemed like it was so abrupt. Like, they were friends, 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 and then she became famous, and then he's like, see ya. Like, yeah, it wasn't necessarily a normal friendship progression where you would just normally sort of drift away because they didn't. They stayed friends as adults and she helped him on his his at one of his really big works. Yeah. And so it it wasn't just, oh, we kind of grew apart, you know, because they they stayed friends for a long time. Right. Yeah. And I think she's it seems like she was just as confused as to why he was Uh kind of not letting her in anymore too uh-huh. yeah yeah that I, see there's so many parts of this book that i'm like this is such a mystery like right i don't understand you know how this happened or or what caused this and that's one of the things in this book where i was like why did this happen why did they fall apart i don't know right i don't know because they they both i mean it seems to me like the reason they became friends in the first place was number one convenience, but number yep. two, they were both kind of misfits. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely, you know, she was a tomboy, and he was living with relatives, and he yep. was, you know, different, and just yeah, it seems like they're they had a, a kind of a, they had to stick together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So why that changed later for him? Right. I don't know. Well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe he had different influences as he grew apart from her, you know, and people just, you know, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. The writing world got to him. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, exactly. But he's, he in him, in himself is a, a mystery. So. Yeah, he definitely is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
So we had mentioned Tom Radney before, Big Tom. Right. Uh, what was your impression of him? And did did your opinion of him change throughout the book? I sort of thought that he seemed, honestly, he seemed a little bit snaky. Yeah. To me. <laughs> um, but I don't know if that's kind of just a general I don't mean to sound mean, but sort of a general opinion of defense lawyers, because as their very nature, they have to defend people who they know may or, you know, may be guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's written into our law on purpose, everybody right. that everybody deserves a, a, you know, a legal defense. Did you feel like he was sneaky even when she, the author was talking about his background, like the politics and... All that stuff. Um, okay, confession. I didn't read all of that. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I was hoping to kind of skate through. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> okay. I am not a big fan of politics. Okay. I, I get that. I really struggled with that section of the book. The I part knew where it there went was into... some section you struggled with. I knew it. I just yeah. didn't know what it was. That is so yeah. funny. <laughs> I, I did. I, I, I just got a little bored yeah. and bogged down. Yeah. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> like, I just, I, yeah. Okay. The only reason I brought this up is because when he was in politics... Yes, snooze fest. However, he <laughs> sounded like maybe he was a good guy. Like he Oh. Yeah, that's the weird okay. part. Like he stood up for what was right in the deep south when it wasn't acceptable to you know, say how you felt about racial justice okay. or you know, he was portrayed as okay. doing, as doing the right thing, and he actually got really um, uh, smashed for it. Like, people... Okay. People... Yeah, that wouldn't have been popular at all. Right, right. And then he went out of politics (laughs) for a little bit, and then he went back in, and then he became a lawyer. So... Okay. That was one reason I, I thought this question might be interesting because (laughs) surprise (laughs) only if i read the whole book (laughs) did you skip any other parts let me know no no i did not i did not (laughs) i see the insurance part was like that for me where i was like boring come on (laughs) that's fair that's totally fair. But um, oh I can, okay, I could totally see where that would be boring. I, I, once you got into listening about who he was in politics, though, I think okay. it kind of grasped you a little bit. At least it did me. Okay. Um, but it just seemed like he really switched gears. I, uh, yeah. That's so crazy. I wonder... <sighs> Yeah, that would put a different spin on it for sure because yeah. I I did sort of see him as a little bit sneaky, but yes. I also saw, saw him as being like very charming and very yeah. personable uh-huh. and 
very um, kind of like down home. Yeah. Not not too big for to talk to people mm-hmm. or too, you know, not too too big a guy to you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I I kind of did see that even from what I did read of his yeah. his story. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Well, even Harper Lee, when she met him, didn't they click? Like, they kind of got along. Yeah, she thought, yeah, she thought he was a good guy. Um, And he invited her over to the farm, Uh and she would just hang out with his family and have Uh dinner, and yeah. 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 I think there's more to Tom, though, than what meets the eye. I'll go into that a little bit later, because... Yeah, I I think he's an interesting uh, character that, you know, could have more to do with the story than what he's been given credit for, maybe. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And that's totally just my, like, I'm, you know, being. A, <laughs> a that's what we do here, girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. That's the things. gig we got going yeah. on. <laughs> I love to make up stuff that I think is the real thing. Well, get ready for some juicy makeup stuff. (laughs) Okay. Man. (laughs) So, okay. um, So, switching gear. Are are we good on Tom? I don't want to cut you off there. No, you're good. Um, Okay. So, um, the Reverend. Yeah. What do you think? I mean... Do you do, do you I think, think he, he killed all those people? Mm. Do you think he knocked all those people off? He seemed he seemed to me like a scumbag. Like he was just really I felt like he was really shady. I do not think that it was a coincidence that all of those people died in the ways that they died and that he had life insurance policies out on all the people that died. The book doesn't yeah. really talk about his personality much, but you know that he's a preacher, but there were rumors going around that he was doing, you know, voodoo and other stuff, you know, that was weird. But yeah, um, he never squashed those rumors, really. Did he? Not that I can remember. Well, I, I don't think so. Okay. Um, I don't really know how he could have other than just, I mean, he... I think he could have just said, look, I'm not, I don't do anything like that, but I think people still would have said it. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I also, yeah, I can't figure him out. Like, mm. to me, in my brain, um, uh, you, when you call someone a reverend, mm. I automatically picture a certain type of person, and he is not any of the things right, right. that I picture at all. Mm-hmm. So... I, did, I just couldn't figure out who this guy was. Yeah. I was like, who is this guy? Yeah. I, I thought it was creepy that, okay, his wife dies, right? And right. Um, she's found in a car on the side of the road. And right. then he marries the next door neighbor whose husband died and was found in a car on the side of the road, right? Right. And <laughs> yes. then... What hell was it? Her that I think she was going to testify against him, and then she switched her story. Right, like all yep. of that just seems 
so so uh, shady. It, there, it just doesn't seem like it could be a coincidence, you know? Right, and uh, I mean, I what I couldn't figure out is if he did do all of these or mm-hmm. or set it up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Are you really that stupid to keep like? <laughs> The exact same mo, the same right. place, almost. Yes, but the the thing is, but yet... they never they never caught anybody, which means it totally could have been him. So he did get away with it if it was him. But why would he be such an idiot and do it the exact same way and in the same place? I don't know. I don't know. That was weird. <laughs> I mean, it's almost too coincidental. You almost go like, well, it had to be somebody else because who would be that stupid? Yeah. But yet, no, it had to be the same person because it was the same thing. Yeah. That's it's so weird. That's another kind of twist because it took place before forensic evidence, like... You know, they couldn't just get fingerprints, right? They didn't have that well, at the time, did they? Well, f- they should have had fingerprints because this was the well, 70s. fingerprints, yeah, but like um, DNA. Well, they didn't have all the toxicology. I remember it saying something about they didn't have tests for a, a bunch of different poisons okay. or, okay. you know, that kind of thing where they wouldn't have known if he had, like, Poisons, you know, drugged them with right. something, you know. Yeah. Um. So there was that, but I just, I don't know. He's he's such a mystery to me because I, I just don't understand him at all. Mm-hmm. The whole voodoo thing, just yeah. even that, I'm like, what? I think that that was probably not true. I think that was just kind of like yeah. a, a, an urban legend. Like it just kind of got bigger and bigger and people yeah. circulated that. I, yeah, that's just my opinion. I think you're probably right. I don't know. Well, I, I mean, I think people are just trying to figure it out because it is so weird. Mm-hmm. So they have to attach some kind of theory, mm-hmm. and all they could come up with is it's got to be some kind of weird, superstitious thing. Because what else could it be? This right. is so weird. And my theory is he did it. <laughs> yeah, my theory is he's yeah. So you don't know he's, if you think he did it. You can't. Decide. Well, I assume I assume he did. But what's interesting to me is that. Harper Lee, in the end, really, she didn't end up writing about it because she said, you know, there's nothing to write about. He wasn't convicted. Mm. He didn't. There's no evidence Mm -hmm. that it was him. There's she basically said, like, there's not enough to go on for me to even write the thing. Right. So I thought that was really it. So he he's one of the most interesting aspects of the story to me, because I love a good, like, undocumented something Mm -hmm. um so for instance you think about you know um throughout history we have a fair amount of information about um you know george washington and benedict arnold and all these people well living right alongside them were african-americans who had a huge impact on history and we will never know their names Mm so that is so interesting to me to try to dig up information where there's just yeah. Not much on the record. Mm-hmm. I find that fascinating. Mm-hmm. People who try to really dig in and say, okay, this guy, you know, who was he? Yeah. Who was this guy? Mm-hmm. What was he about? Like, it's nobody wrote it down because he was black. Yeah. So I just, I find that so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so 
Why do you think Lee was so obsessed with this case? Um, well, just going off, it, that's a hard thing to answer because, again, we find out, you know, in the book that basically Lee's a bit of an enigma herself. Yeah. Um, I think that she seemed to be, and again, I'm just going off her works and, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think she seems to be drawn to um, complex issues of justice and race. Mm-hmm. And um, and especially, I mean, she she has a lot of history with the judicial system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she was almost a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, her, you know, her dad, um, you know, was had the newspaper where, you know, she kind of learned a little bit about journalism and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think maybe it hit on a lot of her, just a lot of her things that she was kind of into yeah. and interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, here's, here's Truman, you know, I think it's telling that Truman Capote went and, and, you know, did this, this book on this white family in the middle of Midwestern, you know, U.S. growing up, you know, this, this model family who nobody had ever had anything against and everybody loved and, you know. Somebody comes along and, and a stranger comes along and, and murders the whole family. Mm. And then here's Harper Lee yeah, wanting to do a story with, you know, just all African-American characters, um, an all-white jury, mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of pushing, pushing the limits yeah. of, you know, what we need to talk about. It's the complete opposite of what his, what Capote's book was all about. Yeah, exactly. And and a and a person who um definitely did the crime and was yes. somebody that was known by everybody. Yes. Um I think she I think it just hit on a lot of the stuff that she was kind of passionate about, maybe. Uh-huh. Yeah. What about you? Um well I think that I think that she just thought that it was a really interesting story that would captivate her readers if she gave it a chance, you know, if she was able to publish it. But I personally think that there is something else going on there. And that's where my, my like conspiracy theory self comes out. (laughs) Okay. Do tell. Okay. Okay. So big Tom. I think there's something dark there. Like maybe he used his influence to like keep the story under wraps because I know that Lee interviewed Burns twice about the case. And one of those times she warned him that she might not be able to publish it because Big Tom was married to someone in her family and it might incriminate him. Now, I don't know how it would incriminate him, but she used those words. So... I don't remember this at all. Well, part of it I read in in some articles, but then she also did, it did say in the book that she interviewed Burns, I think, or that she went to yeah, his hometown. She, yeah, she did. Yeah. And then, so you read an article where it said that she told Burns that, yes. the, that she not, might not be able to publish because of Tom Radney? Yes. Really? Yeah, and I, that interview, 
uh, that article that I read was direct quotes from Burns about his talk with Lee. So, uh, yeah. Interesting. How would Tom have been involved? I don't know. That's where I think it's, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he Maybe Tom knew something. I mean, he was his, he was the reverend's Uh lawyer. Uh So maybe he knew something had happened. Uh Uh-huh. And didn't want that to get out that he knew about it because well but but that would have been part of his right as the lawyer i mean yeah he doesn't have to tell what he knows because he's his lawyer right but even so many years later why keep it a secret but i read that there actually some people believe that there really was a manuscript which was titled the reverend and that members of the radney family so tom's family were said to have found some handwritten notes included in, uh, which had like a final paragraph by Lee. So if that's true, why would they want to keep that a secret? Like, why would the story incriminate him? You know, there's so many questions. Yeah, because Tom specifically co- contacted Harper over the years yeah. saying, you know, how, how are you doing? Are you, are you going to, like, are you coming out with it? Is it coming mm-hmm. out? That takes on a whole different twist if yeah. you... Yeah, <laughs> like a more a darker side. Menacing. Yeah. So I think this is pure speculation, but I think she, I believe she did finish the book. But because she spent pretty much her ah. whole career writing it, you know, for some reason, I think it, di- it didn't get published. And I like to think that there could have been some, you know, dirty secret there, but... Yeah, she wasn't very open with the public in general, so we'll right. probably never know. But uh, the Rad- Rad- Radley family is really tight-lipped about it. So, I wonder, didn't it say somewhere along the line that Harper Lee had a um, had somebody who was going to write her biography, mm-hmm. but she didn't want it written until she, after she was dead? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it... That right there tells me maybe she was thinking ahead about some of this stuff mm-hmm. and maybe there's a deadline somewhere mm-hmm. and somebody has some stuff yeah. that we don't know about yeah. or has the whole thing. Yeah. And that maybe once, you know, once, I don't know, maybe he, maybe once Radney's been dead for long enough uh-huh. or whatever. Yeah. Who knows? And maybe, you know, maybe there's a deadline on on the book, too, and not just her biography. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta wonder. (laughs) Yeah. I honestly had not even thought of that. Yeah. Well, I read enough um, thriller books to read into things. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not, it's true. Our family, we we love a good conspiracy theory. We just do. That's right. (laughs) We can't help ourselves. We know it's ridiculous. We gotta do it. But I think it's also, you know, being able to see the other side of people and it's not always what you see. True. Yeah, so, true. Yeah, that's how I think. So, I, I honestly don't know. Before before this discussion, yeah, I definitely assumed she did not finish the book. Really? Did I change your mind? 
<laughs> well, I'm much more open to the possibility now because that yeah. that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. know. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Don't know what to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm saying about this book is there's so many question marks. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that Harper Lee had so much trouble writing throughout her career? Well, I think she probably had some really deep, dark demons. She was fiercely private so I think that question you know like so many others might never get answered but the book indicated that she might have a drinking problem and uh, you know quite a few people that she knew personally have said that since then so maybe that caused her to not perform to her abilities I don't know but I find it's very strange that she had that one hit wonder pretty much and then struggled so much after that um yeah right to continue to write novels but the book did say that someone paid for her to take a year off to write right and is that when she wrote to kill a mockingbird or go set a watchman i can't remember i think it was when she wrote to kill a mockingbird because i feel like she maybe already had some of to go set a watchman, if not yeah. maybe all of I can't remember yeah. how much she had yeah, or if she, she had. To, she wrote to go set a watchman first. Right. Right. So yes. either way, I, she had a designated time to focus on writing, and that was when she was younger, and that was before she was well known. So yeah. I think maybe the pressure of after she hated being famous. She yeah. hated it. So maybe the pressure of having a successful book caused her kind of to just start questioning herself maybe and not really being able to come out of that. I, I really don't yeah. know, but I do think it's weird about, you know, yeah. to think about the possibilities. Why did she release, even even why did she release To Go Set a Watchman? All those years later, because she released that in 2016, I think it was. And then she died in 2017. Right. So did she feel like she needed to do that before she died so that people wouldn't say that she only had the one book? I don't know. But, it, you know, it's a mystery, like a lot of things. But I think that probably probably her her drinking could have had a, a... big thing to do with it yeah perhaps uh yeah but i it's a yeah it goes along with her personality because nobody really truly knew her except maybe her sisters yeah Um, yeah what what do you think well um i hesitate to say this but not to be too self-aggrandizing but I sort of um I I I sympathize and I sort of relate to her a little bit um I think she's a perfectionist and I think that she had the right combination of people in her life the first time around to help her get 
get going and get moving and get past her um, her perfectionist tendencies and, and to help her craft it. I think she was a good writer, but yeah. I think she maybe needed some really good people alongside of her yeah. um, to help her, you know, carve out how, how to do it all and how to put it all together. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, and she didn't have that later. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I think that's at least part of it. Yeah. Um, but I think you're probably right. I think there was um, a, a, an interesting cocktail of things that probably went into it. And yeah. that's no pun intended, but honestly, that could be. Pun <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't, but that, that could be, yeah. It's, I think it's an apt way yeah. of saying it too, because yeah. yeah, the, the drinking did not help the, the fact that she didn't, you know, have those people around her to kind of hone all of her all of her stuff and help her get past her perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. um, I think it was a, a few different things, really. Yeah. Well, it also talked about her sisters being worried about her. And it almost gave the impression that maybe she was depressed or, yeah, you know, she did struggle with drinking. So maybe they were concerned about that. There were times when she wasn't, they weren't sure if she was all right in her mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for a person who was already fairly insular, she seemed like she was just caving in on herself and just drawing more and more into herself in really unhealthy ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was there anything in this book that you were surprised to learn? Not just Uh, properly, but like all of it, any of it. Yeah, there was. Um. I think one of the big things that surprised me was um, how much time she actually spent writing for someone who really only had one major publication. She had Ghost at a Watchman mm-hmm. um, at the end of her, her life, um, but it almost feels like she really just had the one book in yeah. a way, um, Yes. even though she didn't. She did have two books. She yeah. did. Um, and I remember when Ghost at a Watchman came out and kind yes. of just the hubbub about like, oh, my word. There's going to be another Harper Lee book. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, it, it was just like, uh, wh- uh, okay, you know, yeah. like after 40 years or whatever it was, you know, f- longer, mm-hmm. um, here comes this second book from Harper Lee. And for a lot of people, it was kind of a letdown. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. It, because it, it, it kind of ruined our image of Atticus, yes. you know. Yes. Um, but that's actually another thing that really surprised me about about the book from the book is um, just how complicated her feelings on race were mm. and yeah. how much how much deeper she really wanted to go the first time around and kind of wasn't allowed to. Yeah. Um, she wanted to show an accurate portrayal of people's feelings about race. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of whitewashed a little bit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, it said somewhere that she wanted to talk about it and her publishers kind of were like, eh, stop talking right. about that. Remember? Yep. That's too complicated for people to understand, Yeah, basically. Uh-huh. Um, like, we have our views of what Southerners are like and that doesn't fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that surprised me, too. She really just... She, she really was a very complicated person and someone who um, 
was not well known to almost anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seems which would like... be which would make sense why losing a, a close friend like Truman Capote would hurt really badly. Yes, because there weren't many people that were able to see the real her. You know. Right. Yeah. What well, about you? I I kind of going back to the whole reverend part didn't realize how easy it was to take life insurance out on people and oh yeah um just kind of anybody like you could fudge on how you were related and and yeah that whole part of the story is interesting to me because if there had been a better policy in place I don't think this whole story would have happened. Yeah. So that's just kind of interesting to think about. Um, You know. Yeah, I think sometimes we think that the world was created the way we found it or something, (laughs) you know, and and things become policy or law for a reason. And Mm -hmm. here's a big one staring us in the face. And this is why you're not allowed to live take out a policy on anyone (laughs) without without them even knowing it right yeah yeah did the book change the way that you thought about harper lee and her literary legacy i honestly i would say not really because i i knew enough about lee to know that she uh had really kind of tried to stay out of the limelight and just Mm. Um, you know, that she and, and everybody kind of knew that she was, you know, famous for this one book and yep. really had never come out with anything significant or at least not another novel mm-hmm. um, since that time. Mm-hmm. So it didn't necessarily change how I view her literary legacy, but I definitely got a clearer picture of just how private she was and just yeah. how complicated she was. Yeah, that's how I felt, too. Um I had never really researched Lee. I didn't know much about her or even the fact that she was kind of a recluse. Like, I didn't really know that. Uh, I remember, too, when that book came out, I actually bought it in the airport. I don't remember where I was going. But I was so excited to read it. And I started it on the plane, and I was like, ooh, this is... Yeah, it it definitely was. I think a lot of people are like, why would you come out with this at the end of your life? You know, like in your in your, you know, later years and ruin everybody's view of what you wrote first, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how I felt like she kind of destroyed her work a little bit. But knowing I never knew that To Go Set a Watchman was written first, which... uh, it kind of changes the dynamics a little bit yeah, for me. Yeah, it does. Because I always thought, oh, she's lost it. You know, she's lost the touch. But, but at, yeah, no. <laughs> it, it just is a whole different story when you know that that was the first one that she wrote. Yeah. So I, I thought it was fascinating, the story behind the stories. That was yeah. the part that I really liked about this book. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting you saying her sort that she sort of ruined her earlier work or destroyed it. Mm. Um 
that just kind of jogged something in my head. Like, you know, she, she had a tendency to destroy her own work. Mm. Um, she, you know, she would come up, you know, drunk to somebody's you yeah. know apartment and say, hey, I need a drink. I just destroyed uh-huh. a bunch of pages of, me-, you know. Yeah. So I think that, again, is you start to wonder, maybe that's what she was doing when she yeah. decided to publish To Go Set a Watchman. She's self-sabotaging. Yeah, you almost wonder if she was because she's just such a perfectionist and she just had these demons that, you know, she maybe there was something in her saying, you're a failure. Mm-hmm. You might as well just show everybody that you are. Mm-hmm. Or I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think we could probably move on to the ratings, right? I think it, I think we've... Uh, hashed it out here Mm -hmm. so we probably better get to the rating part (laughs) okay so for those of you who aren't familiar with our rating system we're going to do a little review really quickly we rate the books in cups of coffee so one cup the lowest rating is Folgers two cups (laughs) yeah (laughs) two cups would be Dunkin coffee three is eight o'clock coffee Four cups is Javalia, and five is Pete's Coffee. So for this specific book, I am going to give it a Javalia. I found it hmm, really okay. intriguing and captivating. I wanted to read it. I wanted to find out what was happening. I love that it was written in a way that was almost like it was a fiction. But it wasn't. It was nonfiction. Yeah. So... I actually, I have to say, I actually listened to this one on um, Audible instead of reading it. Mm -hmm. So I think that that actually helped me appreciate it more. There are some books where I think it helps to listen instead of read. And I think this might be one of them. Because (laughs) there were some parts that were a little bit boring. And I can see where people would be bored by them. But... You can just, you know, speed it up. <laughs> and I think that overall... <laughs> In the words more... of our sister, skip a few, brother. <laughs> skip a few. <laughs> yes. I think that it helped me enjoy it overall more, you know. And Interesting. And I really, really okay. liked the book. For nonfiction, I thought that it was very well written. And I do like nonfiction. I'm coming to like it more than I used to. But um, I just thought it was really well written. And... Um, I enjoyed, like I said before, the stories behind the story. So, anyway, that's what I gave it. All right, what okay. You, what did you rate it? Well, I, I, it's interesting hearing you talk about um, your experience of it because I, I do wonder if I might have liked it better if I had listened to it. Mm. Um, I, I, this, this hurts me, but I gotta give it a Duncan. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Duncan, that is our lowest yet, folks. I know. Here's the thing. I I actually saw this book on the shelf at one point and really wanted to read it just because of the premise. Yeah. Um, And then, Becky, you kind of brought it to my attention again. I thought, oh, I I forgot about that one. I want to read it. So I was so on board with this thing, and I so wanted to like it. Yeah. But I just found... A, a lot of the sections not that interesting, mm. um, and I do think maybe if I had listened, it would have been a different experience. But I gotta yeah. say, I 
I find it much more interesting now, having spoken to you. I think you brought out all the interesting in it. Well, thank you. <laughs> so I, I really do. Like I find I'm like, oh, I didn't think about that. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. It, it it felt for I don't know if like, that's a compliment, but I'm going to take it as a compliment. It, it is. It absolutely is. It absolutely is because I felt like all the elements should have made for such a compelling read. Yeah. But a lot of the time, I was just kind of bored. Okay. So that was that was my experience of it. Yeah. But I I do wonder, had I listened to it yeah. instead of reading it, maybe yeah. it would have been a whole different and experience. And it really can make a big difference. Some books, yeah. when you listen to them, are more boring, you know? And I know. It, but but some are so much better. Yeah. yeah. And you never know until you listen to it or you read it. So Exactly. Yeah. So for this so, one, I guess we're recommending that you listen to it. <laughs> I, I guess the final word here is get it on Audible. Yes, yes. <laughs> so um, so we're going to wrap up this episode. Our, we need to talk about our next pick. Yes. Um, our next book pick is The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes mm-hmm. by Suzanne Collins. And some of you may remember her from the Hunger Games series. This is actually a prequel, I believe to the Hunger Games. Um, And we're actually, we have a little bit of a a switch up for our next episode. We're actually going to have a guest on our show. Mm -hmm. Um, Dan Konopasik is an old um, touring team friend of mine. We were in college together and he and I were on a drama team and we toured around the country together. And he's actually like a really huge Hunger Games fan. And um, and so we thought it'd be fun to talk about this book with the three of us. Mm-hmm. Should um, be fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, so incidentally, he actually has his own podcast called Lost in Lists. So check that out on Spotify or wherever you listen to us. Yes. And to get all of our recipes and book suggestions, make sure that you check out our website, groundsfordiscussionpodcast.com. And while you're at it, wink, wink, if you want to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to our show. So thank you so much for joining us today on Grounds for Discussion. Where the coffee and the books are a perfect blend. <laughs>